started last week kind of a two-week mini-series based on some of the things that uh, some of you are going through individually uh, as you're looking at graduation but not sure what's after that. Uh, you really can't see the path. But then also as a church, some things that we're looking at as of May 31st, uh, many of you already know that we have to be out of this building and we're not sure where the next step is, what, uh, what location God's going to provide for us as NCA goes through uh, some extensive construction projects. So the Lord led me to go to Hebrews chapter 11 and 2 Corinthians and look through what does it mean for active dependence? What is that um, all about? Well, I want to draw a comparison for today, um, a large amount of people, not only in the United States of America, but across the world, will watch something tonight that's going to be on TV. What is that? Super Bowl. Last year, it, it made a record. 115 million plus people watched the Super Bowl. It's the most uh, watched telecast ever in the history of our nation. Um, and it's the, certainly the most watched Super Bowl ever. Uh, maybe tonight will surpass that. I'm not sure. But 115 million people tuned in last year to watch at least part um, of the Super Bowl. So it's not surprising uh, the fact that in Canton, Ohio, and you'll see it on the screen next uh, image here, this is the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So if you have 115 million people that watch this, and you've got a, a good number of people that love football and that watch that and follow it and will go at some point to this Pro Football uh, Hall of Fame. They're about to start a $70 million expansion. Some of the images there are to be built still. They're not all uh, there yet, but a $70 million expansion uh, for people to go and just see some of, the, some of the greats of pro football here in the United States of America. Now, if you never make it to Canton, Ohio, Right here in our city, in Atlanta, is the College Football Hall of Fame. Anybody been to the College Football Hall of Fame? Good. Okay, a couple of you have. College students, if you have a student ID, just for you to know, February is a month that you can get in free to the College Football, Football Hall of Fame right here in Atlanta. Maybe you want to take advantage of that. But why do I bring those up? If we go to either one of those Hall of Fames, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the College Football Hall of Fame, we may see some interesting things. If you love sports, you're going to probably enjoy it more than somebody that doesn't love sports. If you love football, then you're certainly going to enjoy it more than somebody who doesn't love football. But I doubt that as we were to walk out, if we were to go to either one of those places and walk out of those uh, halls of fame, I doubt that it's going to change our life. I doubt that five years from now we would look back and go, man, it was that day that I went to the Pro Football Hall of Fame that just, I mean, it just transformed me. No, probably not. But as we look at the hall of faith, and I explained last week, that's something that we just came up with a term. It's not a biblical term. But it talks about some of the, the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And for us that have grown up in America, it's kind of a familiar term, hall of fame. So that's why we say hall of faith. But the lessons that we learn out of Hebrews 11, if you embrace those, if you practice those, I guarantee it, it will and they will change your life. It won't be like going to a museum and just walking around and going, oh, that was cool. But it will totally change your life. So last week we looked at a few things that's on your notes, just the first part. So we're not going to go through uh, just for time. But we looked at the context of the Hall of Faith, the historical backdrop, mainly written to Jews. Uh, that were professing to be believers. Some were tempted to go back to kind of a works-based salvation. 
Uh, that's the spiritual backdrop, backdrop of that. There was some persecution going on at this time. Nero, most likely, was the uh, emperor of Rome. We looked at the contrast in the Hall of Faith. You have action versus profession. You know, what are, what, how does your life show? What is your lifeology or theology is what we believe about God. So what does your life show that you believe about God? And then we contrasted a lot, not by sight rules living versus the by sight rules living. But I want to look at now the conclusions revealed in the hall of faith. What are some of the conclusions revealed as we go through this hall of faith that should transform our lives? First of all, active dependence will look different within the family of God. Active dependence will look differently within the family of God. It starts off, as I mentioned last week, it starts off with the, with the, the context or the story of Abel. He was murdered by his brother. If, if you and I were trying to sell something, if you and I were trying to promote kind of a way of life, I doubt that any of us would say, hey, look at this example. He was murdered. Woo! <laughs> Sign me up. But that's, I mean, this was, this was part of the hall of faith. And it, at first, what appeared to be a defeat of faith, the death of Abel, God then used, in, in only a way that God can, to be a definition of faith for centuries to come, where millions of believers have been encouraged by the legacy of Abel. So Abel's faith in God, the offering that he offered to God was well-pleasing to him, but it ended, his, his life on earth ended short. It appeared to be a defeat of faith, death. But then God says, no, no, this is part of the definition of faith. Cain, by contrast, he had a longer life. Um, he, he didn't die. Obviously, he was the one that killed his brother. But we don't read about Cain and get encouraged to, to live a life of faith. But the legacy of Abel still lives on. So in God's way, he has used that legacy to help define faith for us and encourage us to this very day. We, we look next at Enoch. Hebrews 11.5, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now if I were to offer to you a faith package this morning, or say, okay, you know, do you want the, do you want the Abel package or do you want the Enoch pa pa um, package? Probably all of us say, Enoch Time yet for Enoch. I, I, I'm really not excited about death. I think it'd be pretty cool if God just says, hey, Enoch, you ready? Yes, Lord. All right, come on. And then, and that's it. I mean, no hospital. I mean, no, like, no funeral. I mean, just, it's, it, he's there. He's in heaven. So we would say, yeah, let's do the Enoch, Enoch path. That's the package that we want. But don't forget one small detail that's in this, it's small in the, in the sense of number of words, but it says in the end of that verse, in Hebrews eleven five, he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So may we take that from the, the Enoch package of God help us, Lord, in whatever we do that we would seek to please you. So whether it's Abel, and you, you think, man, I, I just don't see how this really glorifies God, know that God can take that and can create a legacy and use it in a way that you'll never imagine. Or Enoch, you've got a long life and maybe, you know, I don't think any of us are going to be taken unless it's through the rapture and then we'll all go together, all believers. Uh, but either way, God works differently within the family of God. Now, why is this tough for us? 
Misery loves, complete the phrase, misery loves company. As humans, that's just kind of our tendency, you know, uh, think about it this way. Well, you know, I got a 75 on my history test, but the class average was 60, right? I mean, why do we say stuff like that? Because it makes me feel a little better. If I got a really bad grade, but everybody else did worse, well, okay, I, I feel pretty good. So the idea is, if, if I can find someone that is like worse off than I am, in some way it helps my misery be a little bit more bearable. I can, I can kind of stand it a little bit more. Maybe in your thought, man, I've been sick this last week, and I have. Thankfully, I feel a lot better. Thanks for your prayers. But I've been sick this last week, but so-and-so was in the hospital. So at least I wasn't, you know, him or, or her. But we think about, you know, what's, what's the worst? So the truth that active dependence will look differently within the family of God, it is difficult for us to accept because as humans, we want life and really... We want God to be fair. We want referees to be fair. Depending on what team you cheer for tonight, I guarantee you one of the refs will make a call that you go, the ref was blind. What in the world was that? That's not fair. We want our kids' teachers to be fair. We want our employers to be fair. We want drivers on the road in Metro Atlanta to be fair. Let us in when we're almost missed an exit or not cut us off. We want, we want them to be fair. We want our other family members to be fair. Don't take the last bit of orange juice. I mean, that's not fair. You, you ate all the cake. That's not fair. And we really want God to be fair. If we have more difficulties than, than kind of what we expected to have, then help me complete the sentence. Sometimes we'll say, well, I sure have had my fair share of sickness. I've sure had my fair share of financial difficulty. I've sure had my fair share of relational problems or however you want to complete it. And in essence, it's kind of like saying, God, I, I think that's enough. I mean, I think, I think in this faith journey and the race that you've given me, I think I've probably had enough. But understand that active dependence is going to look differently within the family of God. Notice in Hebrews chapter 12, how this comes out. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, so it's gone all the way through the Hall of Faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, and looked at all these different individuals, some whose life stories ended in a phenomenal way, they didn't even see death, and then others who were murdered and, and things like this, or killed or sawn asunder in the latter part of Hebrews 11. It's gone all the way through that, and then it says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what? Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And then notice this last part. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And individually, I want to encourage you to think about God has made a faith race for you, for Annika that's different for Christina, for mine that's different for David, for, for Mary that's different for Andrew. Every one of your faith races is different. And so it's going to look different as you ex express and grow in your active dependence on God. Be careful not to look at someone else and go, man, I wish my life were like that person's. I wish that God would, would allow that to happen to, to me. 
Why did, why did this have to, why did I go through, why did my children, why did my marriage, why did all of this happen? Well, it's part of the faith race that God has put before you. And so as you grow in your active dependence, it's going to look differently, and God will use that to bring glory to himself if you follow him and if you show faith in him. That's individually. But I also find a very encouraging truth here for our church. Even for a church, the faith race that he's put before One Hope Church is different than he's put before Grace Church at Town Center, who's been meeting in a tent for the last eight, nine months. It's different than Gospel Hope Church across town, who was given a whole campus recently. It's different than, and you could, lit, you could fill in the blank, it's One Hope Church's faith race. So God help us to just be in active dependence. Help us not to look, at, look around and go, man, my, boy, it's so, so hard, or why this, or God, why, why don't you? God, help us to be faithful. Help us to look to you in active dependence. We can't see how everything's going to work out, but Lord, help us to trust in you, even though it's going to look differently within the family of God. Secondly, active dependence is essential for the present, but it's focused on the eternal. Active dependence, it is essential for the present, but it's focused on the eternal. Hebrews eleven six again, and without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So without faith, we'll never be able to please him in our present life. Hebrews eleven six says it's impossible. Without faith... We will never be present with God for eternal life. It's impossible. Faith is necessary for salvation as we look to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Let me think about this a little bit. Um, how, how, is it, how is it helpful to look to the future? All right, students, let's imagine... If, or let me ask you this, what helps you as you have uh, uh, papers to write, and Audrey's writing one this weekend, she was up late last night trying to crank out this you know, long paper, and many of you have projects and research you're, that you're doing, what helps you to endure that? As you look forward to, to a future day, what helps you to get through that education process? Audrey? So the thought is, okay, I'm doing all this, but at some point, I'll be able to use this. It's not just going to be another test. It's not going to be just another day in school. I mean, if you talk to to Josh Medina, physical therapy, right? He's he's going every day, driving up, and he's going. He comes back home late, and he's he says it's a lot. He's told me several times, it's pastor, it's a lot. It's not not extremely extremely difficult. It's just a lot. But what helps Josh Medina go through this training process? Well, he's already told me. He said, I just, I I can't wait till one day I can use this and be a physical therapist, perhaps even in the military. So he's thinking about what's going to happen in the future. Imagine a nursing student, a medical student, who at day one knew they will never, ever be a nurse, never, ever be a doctor. Well, it'd be tough to go through all of that grueling process knowing that you're never going to put it into play. I love, um, uh, I, I loved, 
I still enjoy watching football. I don't play much football, uh, but, I, but I enjoyed playing football in high school. And I still remember to this day, August was preseason. There were two weeks prior to school started. We were kind of back in the old days. Schools didn't start till the beginning of September. We had a full summer. So the last two weeks in August, we came to the school. We began to dress out. First of all, it was just shorts and t-shirt practice. But then by the second week, it was full pads. In the heat of Georgia summer, I remember to this day the gallon thermos that I would take. It had a cracked lid, but I would drink the entire gallon of water during that four-hour practice in Macon, Georgia in the heat of summer. Why? It was extremely hot. I remember seeing the heat waves come off the black asphalt in the, in the, in the street. Why was that worth it? It wasn't fun going to practice. I remember some of the guys who had not worked out all summer throwing up. At, at those practices, and I was like, man, you, that's why you need to work out during the summer. But so they were throwing up, and they were getting sick, and, but why was it worth it? Thinking about Friday night, the lights on the field, Kim, the cheerleader's going to be on the sideline, right? <laughs> and I'm like coming out like, yeah, baby, come on. Man, it's game time. So as believers, that's why, that's why active dependence is so important. It helps us in the present, but we have to be focused on the eternal. This is not just for the 70, 80, 90, you know, maybe even 105 years of our life, but it, it is for all of eternity that we live out this faith in him. Think about Noah, Hebrews eleven seven. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark. So it is essential for the present. For the saving of his household, by this he condemned the world, and then notice, and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. He wasn't just looking at, how can I save my family from this coming flood? But it was, it was attributed to him for righteousness by faith, the eternal perspective. Abraham, in a similar way, Hebrews eleven nine. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, future, future looking. Then notice this in verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now, you're going to explore a little bit more in growth groups. Why is this so practical? Why is it so practical even in your marriage? As we talked about some romantic things maybe to do, you know, this week for Valentine's. Why is that important in your marriage? Well, if you only think that marriage and, and all the enjoyment and your expectations can be fulfilled in an earthly marriage, you've missed a huge point about being a follower of Christ. Because a perfect and beautiful and extremely fulfilling marriage will be ultimately fulfilled in our marriage as the church with Jesus Christ. There will be no sadness, there will be no unrealized expectations, there will be no misunderstandings, no arguments there. And in every area of life, that truth is similar. You're going to explore some of that in growth groups of how can this act of dependence help me in the present, but then how should I be looking to the future of how God is going to fulfill this in a 100% better way. Third, active dependence recognizes that God does not work according to our timetable. This is one of the most difficult ones for me. Active dependence recognizes that God does not work according to our timetable. Notice this, Hebrews eleven seven. we see again Noah. By faith, Noah constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Now, in a, in a casual reading of that verse, and just a portion, I just read a portion of that verse, 
you really can't pick up, you, you really don't notice, and it doesn't say specifically, even in that, in that verse, how much time lapsed between two of those phrases, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Okay, so how much time passed? Andrew, how old are you? Twelve, that's what I figured. Ten times your life. Dylan and Owen, it'd be about five times your life. Um, for Kim and I, it would be about uh, oh, two and a half times of our life. In essence, 120 years. So God gave the instruction to Noah. He begins to build the ark, but 120 years passes. That's a long timetable. Multiply that times your life and just feel like, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. And then together with her husband, Abraham, Hebrews eleven twelve. Therefore, from one man, and I love this description, um, and him as good as dead. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Well, from the time of God's promise to make of Abraham and Sarah a great nation to the time that Isaac was born, A quarter of a century passed, 25 years passed. And Sarah was already like, I'm past the age. Yeah, I would say a 90-year-old woman, that's kind of past the age. Abraham, man, he's as good as dead. 100-year-old man to have a a new son. God, that's, that's, that's a weird timetable. That's how God worked. Moses, Hebrews 11, 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Then jump ahead to verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Exodus reveals to us that 80 years passed, eight decades passed. It's a long time from this, you know, some understanding that Moses' parents had of, man, that there's something unique, there's something special about our, our son. We're going to hide him. We're not going to follow the king's orders to kill our children. And 80 years passed. He's not going to work according to our time frame. Fourthly, active dependence accepts the reality that God's ways are not our ways. This kind of goes hand in hand with the first truth that it's going to look different within the family of God. So let's go back to the story of Abel. Imagine Adam and Eve when, when they discovered that their son Cain had killed their other son Abel. I mean, I, I really cannot imagine the sorrow. I can't imagine the feelings of guilt as Adam and Eve maybe looked at each other and, and knew, maybe they didn't verbalize it, but knew in their head, this has happened in part because of our choices and our sin. And in one day, they effectively lost two sons. One to death, the other to really an extended condemnation of the Lord for his actions and faithlessness in him. It could be that Adam and Eve that day thought, you know, God, wasn't there another way to, to, show lo, to, to show, showcase, to kind of highlight Abel's uh, God, faith in God? But, but he was murdered. I mean, his, his life is done. Well, no, God has used Abel's, as we already looked, he's used his life as a legacy and as part of a definition of faith. 
Abraham and Isaac, Genesis 22, recounts when Abraham received the instruction to offer his his son Isaac, the one that was supposed to be this promised heir that was a great nation was going to be made of him, he received the instruction to offer him as a sacrifice. And if this is a new story to you, don't feel bad if you hear that and you go, what? God, like loving God, you know, said this? Well, yes. And I, I, I can't imagine what Abraham must have thought. We see through the story, and I would encourage you to read the whole story in Genesis chapter 22, how this was a a very powerful figure and symbol of what eventually Christ would do or God would do in providing his own son as a sacrifice for our sins. But notice how Abraham reacted. What was his response? Hebrews 11 summarizes it for us in in chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Verse 19, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. If you read through Genesis 22, Abraham took Isaac and he told the people at the bottom of the mountain, my son and I are going to go up, we have the stuff from the offering, but we will come back again. So he, he already had this expectation of, God, you, you've asked me to sacrifice my son. I don't know how all this is going to work out, but I'm pretty confident and I have faith in you that we're going to come back together. And God provided in that moment another sacrifice pointing to Jesus Christ, who would be the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. All right, what about Moses' parents and Moses? God did it kind of in a different way. We see again in Hebrews chapter 11, 23, a verse we've read, but let's read it again. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. They were not afraid of the king's edict. Who were Moses' parents? Jochebed? Who was the dad? Isn't that phenomenal? Moses, we hear about, we read about. He, he you know, wrote the first five books of Scripture. But in a room of believers, we're hard-pressed to say his dad's name. But yet God used the faith of his dad, Amram. There it is. The faith of Moses' dad, Amram, and Moses' mom, Jochebed, to preserve his life that God would then use in a phenomenal way to free his people from Egypt. And much more than that, we're going to see in a few minutes. God did it in a very different way than expected. But Hebrews eleven twenty four 24, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now notice, pay special attention to this next verse. He considered the reproach of who? Whoa, 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 what? What happened? I mean, this was like 1,500 years before Christ would become in the flesh and would become incarnate. But yet Moses is, is looking forward. Moses, had, God has given him some understanding as all the Old Testament believers that there is a Messiah that is coming. And we see in Hebrews eleven twenty six, 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. If I had been Moses... 
my, I would have been tempted to negotiate with God and say, listen, God, you are working out a beautiful, beautiful plan. I mean, how phenomenal, God, I mean, that, uh, that I was spared as a baby. I was hidden, in the, and then Pharaoh's daughter came, and now I'm in the palace, and I have these connections, and I'm going to do some networking, and you could use me to free your people. I could do some political negotiations here. This is beautiful. Nope. God didn't do that. In fact, God says, Moses, you're going to go out for a few decades before I bring you back. And then notice how he does it, Hebrews eleven twenty seven. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Then verse 28, by faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So uh, bringing a little bit, our remembrance back to some of the plagues that God did through Moses and protected his, the people of Israel. Then Hebrews eleven twenty nine. 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. The way that God delivered the people of Israel didn't make logical sense. But as we look back, the glory that he, that he received in all of that and the power that he revealed in all of that was infinitely greater than if Moses had brokered a deal because of his connection with Pharaoh. Do you see that? At first, it seems like, man, God, what, why don't you use, I mean, you've already done this. Why don't you use this connection? But God says, no, I have a much more uh, fantastic plan that I will work through you and through my people. The Israelites in Jericho, Hebrews eleven thirty. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Ooh, that's a pretty cool military strategy. Just walk around the city. And then the seventh day, the, the walls are just going to fall down. Yeah. On the seventh day, Joshua 6.15 says, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. I, I, I wonder, and these are some of the questions that I'm going to ask in heaven, maybe. I mean, probably once I get to heaven, I'm going to forget a lot of these trivial questions. I'm just going to be enamored that Jesus is there. Like, Jesus, let's talk. I mean, I don't know how, how I'm going to act. But one of the questions I think I'm going to ask is, as the soldiers were marching around seven times, did some of them like talk to each other like, this is absolutely ridiculous. Do you really think this is going to work? We've done this six days before. I mean, do you, do you think this is going to work? How are the walls going to fall down? But it says, they marched around the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And then notice verse 16 of Joshua 6. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout for who has given you the city? The Lord. So again, God is just showing again and again and again. Militarily, there are many other strategies this could have been done, but I'm going to pick a strategy that will clearly reveal to you this is the Lord that has given you the city. It wasn't by might. It wasn't by your strategy. It's not because you were smart. This is all me, God says. I have given you the city. Next, we see active dependence on God affects others. Active dependence on God affects others. And we see even this through one of the characters in Jericho. Notice Hebrews eleven thirty one, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And if you read the passage of the Old Testament, 
she indicated that, that she began to fear the God of Israel and recognize his power and wanted to be, in essence, on God Jehovah's side and not on her city's side. But I want you to see, look at this, this next slide, the effect. Moses' parents, many of you, most of you, and I, and, and I before this passage or studying for this sermon, would not have remembered Amram's name, but Amram and Jochebed, their faith then led for Moses, Moses' faith, God used that even for the people of Israel. Israel's faith then affected Rahab. Rahab had faith in God. Rahab then, uh, down the line from Rahab, was Boaz and Ruth. Boaz and Ruth gave birth to Obed, Obed to Jesse. Jesse is King David's dad. King David is in the lineage of none other than Jesus Christ. And it started with two people that we could barely remember their names. Jochebed and Amram. As we grow in our active dependence on faith, it will affect others. Now notice the contrast. What happens if we don't choose that? Abraham and Sarah had some moments of great faith, but they also had some moments of very little faith. Abraham and Sarah, as they were expecting, you know, God said he was going to make a great nation. It's not happened. Sarah's past the age. I don't think Sarah ever looked at Abraham and says, you're as good as dead. But, I mean, that's the description of Abraham and Sarah. And so Sarah says, well, why don't you take Hagar and you could have a, you know, a son through Hagar. And that's kind of what happens. And then there's tension within the family. So Ishmael and, and, and there, there's tension there between Hagar uh, and, and Sarah. And to this day, in part because of that decision by sight, there's still ongoing conflict because, between some of the Arabs and the Jews. It will affect others how you decide and how you live for God. We see 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7 as we're going to close these last few minutes. 2 Corinthians, there's a, there's a lot in 2 Corinthians, but I'm going to spare you, and I have to finish this sermon today. So we're going to go through just a, a few of the highlights Paul uses a term, and it's at the bottom of your handout even, to describe all of these people from the hall of faith and even himself, and likewise you and me. He calls us jars of clay. That's what we are. He calls us jars of clay. I don't think that jars of clay is going to be one of the most bought products for Wednesday, Valentine's Day, February 14th. That's just my guess. Because it's common. Jars of, just like normal jars of clay, they're, they're not that beautiful. They crack easy. So let's look at some of, the, some of the truths here. Active dependence on display in jars of clay. Clay jars are easily cracked, but the Christ who shines through them is unbreakable. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. This is now Paul. So we've transitioned from some of the Old Testament characters in Hebrews 11. Now we're transitioning to Paul uh, in the New Testament. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And then verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. So as Paul says, hey, I'm just a jar of clay, and he's being very transparent and honest here with the people of the church in Corinth, and he says, listen, our, our, our jars were cracked. 
I mean, we felt like we were, we were kind of at the end, that, that we had been given the sentence of death. 2 Corinthians 4.1, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. In their case, verse 4 of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing, and get this, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Paul says, we're just, we're just clay jars. We, we suffer real affliction. Like we get to the point sometimes where we even come to the point of despair. We feel like we've given the, the, the sentence of death itself. But through us, through these kind of cracked clay jars, Jesus shines his light. Continue on. For what we proclaim, 2 Corinthians 4 or 5, is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. And then let's go back then to a verse that we read part of it, but I want to finish the whole verse now in context. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. The clay jars, man, we, they're easily cracked. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Our clay jars are easily, easily cracked and stressed, and, and put in feelings of despair. But the one who is within us, Jesus Christ, is unbreakable. And Paul says, that's who I want to shine out of my life. That's who I want others to see through me. Yes, they're going to see my weakness. They're going to see times where I'm, I'm, I'm down, and I'm tired, and I'm discouraged, and I'm cracked. But I want them to see Jesus shine the light of the gospel, the good news through me. Secondly, clay jars are common, but the contents they hold are priceless. We have in our garage a styrofoam box full of little clay jars that sometimes Kim and Michael use to plant little things in. They were extremely cheap. They break easily. They're common. We, we don't usually use them in our house for expensive decorations. We don't have many expensive decorations at all, but we don't use them to, like, man, this is the focal point. Look at the clay pot. They're common. 2 Corinthians 4.8 We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Why? So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The surpassing, this treasure that he talks about, it is what he refers to in verse 6 about the light of Jesus Christ, the light of the gospel, the good news of salvation that's offered to all men. And then let's finish with this last point. Clay jars have a lifespan, but followers of Christ will live forever. Clay jars have a lifespan, but followers of Christ will live 
forever. Knowing that he who raised, 2 Corinthians 4.14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Again, we're seeing again and again and again, by sight rules living contrasted with not by sight rules living. Man, my, my body's kind of wasting away and I can feel the weakness, I can feel the stress, I can feel the, the, the despair sometimes. But then I look and know that I don't lose heart, I have courage because I know that in Christ we have a, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 18 of chapter 4, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So we are always of good courage, Paul says. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, again he says in verse 8, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home, or away, what are we supposed to do? We make it our aim to please him. All right, this is the conclusion. There's two, two paths you can kind of take. So Hebrews 11, we call them heroes of the faith, but they were clay jars. We've already seen how Abraham and Sarah made some decisions that weren't quite so faith-filled. You and I are clay jars. We're going to face difficulties. We Sometimes the, the cracks are going to be evident. It's okay to tell people, yeah, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm discouraged. But then we need to run back to say, yes, but Jesus is our hope. Here are the two, the two paths. And this, is, this was an encouragement as we went to, a con- Kim and I went to a conference recently. The, the words were a little bit different, but this is kind of the idea that, uh, that inspired as I read this passage. Look at these two mathematic equations, okay? Hardships minus hope equals all-consuming despair. As you face hardships, if you don't have hope, then all that's left is despair. I mean, what else is there to look for? If I'm living by sight and I'm facing hardships, I don't have much hope that my circumstances are going to get better, then, then I, I don't really have any other attitude than just despair. The second mathematic equation, which is biblical, is this. Hardships plus hope equals active dependence. Do we still have hardships? Paul says, I'm, I want you to know, we have been afflicted. We felt like we had the sentence of death. But yet we have hope in Christ. We know that he's eternal. We want the light of Christ to shine through, through us. And so that then led him and should lead us to active dependence. So set your hope in Christ. This is the dependence part of that. Set your hope in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Hebrews 12.2, looking to who? To Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. All right, so I wanted to review real fast some of the key phrases that remind us to set our hope in Christ. Here we go. 
We rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 2 Corinthians 1.9. Our hope for you, Paul says, is unshaken. We do not lose heart, he says in two, past two verses in 2 Corinthians 4. We look to the things that are unseen, 2 Corinthians 4.18. We are always of good courage, he says in two verses in 2 Corinthians 5. Set your hope in Christ. And then lastly, keep serving Christ. That's active. That's the active part of dependence, of active dependence. Keep serving Christ. And here are the phrases. You must also help us by prayer, Paul says. We're not just supposed to sit back like, okay, God, just do, just do whatever. Pray. Paul says, can, can you pray with us? That's part of the reason that as a church family, we're, we've encouraged and we're hopefully at least at 1 p.m. we're gathering together wherever we're at and praying and saying, God, we, we want to show our act of dependence to you in this way. We're praying for you to give us guidance and wisdom. You must also help us by prayer. Many will give thanks through the prayers of many. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. We live through the hardships, but yet we still say, listen, this is, all about, this is all about Jesus Christ and the light shining through us. We show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We also believe and so we also speak, Paul says. We walk by faith, not by sight. And then once again, we make it our aim to please him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we finish this morning?